Acts 21, starting in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patira. We found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, and went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was unloaded with this cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage to Tyre and landed in Phetimaeus, where we were greeted by the brothers and sisters and stayed with them a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet came named Agabus down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we had heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am, not only, I, am not, I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we went on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of a man named Mason, where we, had, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Well, thank you very much. Jen. So the man there on the screen is called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he lived from 1906 to 1945 and was a German pastor and theologian. He was pastor in what was called the Confessing Church, which was the church in Germany at that time that was opposed to Hitler and Nazism in the run-up to the Second World War. However, on the eve of the war, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was actually in the USA, and he was wrestling with the question as to whether he should return to Germany or not. On the one hand, he had many um, friends who had sacrificed for him to be in the USA at all. Uh, they knew that if he returned to Germany, he would likely to be persecuted, maybe even killed. And so many of his closest friends in both Germany and the US and in the UK as well actually pleaded with him to remain in the US, uh, both for his own sake and also for the sake of the church. On the other hand, Dietrich Bonhoeffer himself longed to return to Germany. Uh, he felt that his place was in Germany with the German Christians at this time. That was where he belonged. And he also felt that he couldn't play an active role in Germany after the war if he wasn't with the German Christians in their great hour of need. And so he felt compelled to return. And so what should Dietrich Bonhoeffer do? Should he remain in relative ease and relative safety in the USA? Or should he return to be with the uh, Christians and all the dangers that accompanied that in Germany? What would you have done if you were him? Would you stay or 
would you go? Well, that's just one of the many difficult decisions that sometimes Christians are called on to make. Decisions that very often do not have clear-cut answers. Uh, I was listening to a really good podcast this last week with two pastors from Afghanistan. And they were sharing about their struggles over changing their religion on their official government ID cards from Muslim to Christian. Uh, If they changed their official uh, government ID cards from Muslim to Christian, that meant that the government would withdraw all legal protection from them in the event that they were attacked or even uh, most likely killed uh, for changing their religion and um, converting from Islam uh, over to Christianity. That uh, definitely puts most of the struggles that uh, we have to deal with, I think, into perspective Well, you probably noticed from our reading this morning that the Apostle Paul was also facing a very difficult decision. Uh, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. I'm sure you saw that there in the reading. But yet many people were advising him against it and trying to persuade him otherwise. And even we see that the Holy Spirit uh, warned him that hardships and sufferings awaited him in Jerusalem. So what should Paul do? Should Paul stay or should Paul go? Well, in our reading this morning uh, and in the wider context of the book of Acts, I think we see three principles here that gave him courage and that can also help us when we face hard decisions as well. And the first of them there that I've put on your sheets is the plan of God. When we're facing hard decisions, We need to understand, first of all, the plan of God for our world. And this is uh, something that if you've been following along in our series on Acts, that uh, you will notice that we've seen throughout the whole book of Acts. So you may remember that the key verse we've seen in the book of Acts is Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says these words to his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you may remember that we've seen that this idea of uh, God's message going to the ends of the earth was actually something that was firmly rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, Passages like Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, which also speaks of uh, God's message going to the ends of the, the earth. We saw that God has always intended that his message would go to the nations. And you may remember that we've also seen that this particular um, verse serves as a sort of table of contents for the book of Acts. And as you can see there from the different concentric circles on, on the screen, Acts chapter 1 to chapter 12 is really all about the gospel going from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria. And then the rest of the, the book, and we're about halfway through the rest of the book at the moment in uh, chapter 21, the rest of the book is all about the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And of course, Rome, right at the heart of the uh, Roman Empire, kind of um, symbolizes the ends of the, the earth. So in recent weeks, we've been looking at chapters 13 to 21, which are all about the gospel gradually making progress uh, in the eastern Mediterranean world. We've looked at Paul's three great missionary journeys, and uh, we've seen that the gospel is constantly breaking new ground and new people groups and uh, reaching new areas. And all of this by way of contact 
context reminds us that God's plan, God's ultimate plan in the world, is to see the gospel, the good news about Jesus, spread to all peoples and all nations, all the way to the ends of the earth. And then we can also see here that this was something that was lived out in Paul's own life. And so right after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, God said these words about Paul. So Acts chapter 9 verse 15, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And so Paul was an apostle who was especially chosen by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles or the non-Jews and eventually go to Rome uh, right at the heart of the Roman Empire. And so throughout the book of Acts, we see Paul fulfilling this mission which God had given him. So, for instance, Acts chapter 19 and verse um, 21, um, which uh, we we looked at a few weeks ago now. Uh, After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. And it's the journey to Jerusalem he's on at the moment, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. This is Paul's third missionary journey. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Remember, his aim is to go as far as the ends of the earth with the gospel. And all of this really sets the stage for the passage that we're looking at this morning. Paul has a role in God's plans. Paul wants to visit his fellow countrymen in Jerusalem to share the gospel with them and strengthen them. And then he plans to go on and to preach in Rome. And then he wants to go to Spain, actually, after that, uh, to preach the gospel where it has never, ever been preached before. And we know this from uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 20, where Paul says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then a little bit later on in the same passage, verse 23 and 25, again, Paul is writing to the Romans, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem. That again is uh, Paul on his way to Jerusalem that we're looking at this morning in the service of the Lord's people there. And so when we come to our, our passage this morning, we can see that Paul has grasped that God's plans are for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And we've also seen that Paul has also grasped his own role in that. And so he wants to visit Jerusalem, and then after that he wants to visit Rome, and then after that he wants to head on to Spain, where the gospel has never been preached before. And so therefore the first question that we need to ask ourselves when we are facing difficult decisions in our lives is this. How does what I am doing fit with God's plans and purposes in the world? How does what I'm doing fit with God's plans and purposes for the world? Is there one of the options which I'm thinking about about right now that is obviously better for the progress of God's plans and purposes in the world? So if I'm choosing between two jobs, maybe or living in two locations. That's not just a matter of which job will pay me the most money, or which location is the nicest place to live, or which job has the best opportunities for me to make progress in my career, but also which will actually be best for the work of God's kingdom and the spread of the gospel. Is one going to be better than the other when it comes to the discipleship of my children? 
is one going to give me some time left over to devote energy to God's work? Is one going to place me next to work colleagues, maybe from a part of the world where there aren't very many Christians who desperately, desperately need to hear about Jesus? Well, I think that is how Paul uh, was acting here and thinking here. And it's exactly how we need to be thinking as well. How does what I am doing in my life line up with God's great plan to take his gospel to the ends of the earth? So then, uh, number one, we see God's plan. But then we also need to move on because we also see here what I've called the guidance of the Spirit. Now, this is a huge topic. And uh, we can't get into all the nuts and bolts of this this morning. But what we do know is that Paul felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So this is in the passage that we looked at uh, last week. So we know this from Acts chapter 20 and verse 22 to 24, where Paul says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so Paul's saying there that he has a deep conviction in his heart from the Holy Spirit that he needs to go to Jerusalem. Uh, As we've often seen in Acts, we see the Holy Spirit leading and guiding God's people um, in the spread of the gospel. However, there's an obvious question here for us, which is how does this fit with what was just read in our passage this morning, which seems to indicate that the Holy Spirit warned Paul not to actually go to Jerusalem. And so I'm sure you noticed uh, chapter 21, verse 4, where we read about the disciples at Tyre, that through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then we see the same thing again later on in our passage with the prophecy of this prophet called Agabus. So in verse 11, if you look at it, Agabus takes Paul's belt, which in all likelihood was a sort of very long piece of cloth, And then he ties up his own hands and his own feet with it. And then he says um, these words. The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. And then as a result, we see in verse 12, that all of those who are accompanying Paul, as well as those who were with him in Caesarea, uh, pleaded with him to try and persuade him not to go to Jerusalem. And so how do we reconcile these two things? It seems like the Holy Spirit is both wanting and compelling Paul to go, but yet on the other hand uh, is also warning Paul against going to Jerusalem. And so which of these two is it? Well, I think the easiest way of reconciling this is to say that it was right for Paul to go. He was compelled by the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit was also warning him and maybe other Christians about the hardships that he would actually face when he got there. So the Holy Spirit wasn't prohibiting Paul from going, but he was predicting what would happen when Paul got there. So the Spirit wasn't prohibiting Paul from going, but he was predicting what would happen when Paul got there. I think this uh, fits the best with what Paul says there in chapter 20, verse 23, where he says that the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are 
facing me, so he was both compelled but also warned. And I think this also fits with what we see in our own passage in Agabus' prophecy that Paul would be burned and would be handed over to the Gentiles. I actually think this is also probably the best way of understanding chapter 21, verse 4 as well, where the disciples were urging Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. Again, I think it's most likely that what had happened was that the Spirit had warned them what would happen when Paul got there. And then in the light of this, it was the Christians who were actually taking it on themselves to plead with Paul not to go. And so hopefully you can also begin to see the distinction that I'm making here between what the Spirit predicted and the way that the Holy Spirit, sorry, the way that the Christians, uh, some of Paul's friends, interpreted that. The Spirit was warning what would happen, what would take place, and then it was the Christians who pleaded with Paul not to actually go out of their love and their concern for him. And so if you're interested in this more, you can ask me again about it later on. But really, I think the main points are, one, Paul was rightly compelled by the Spirit. Number two, the Spirit warned Paul that there would be hardships ahead. Number three, the Christians urged Paul not to actually go. But number four, Paul goes anyway because he is convinced that it is the right thing to do. So, filled with emotion, Paul says in verse 13, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, of course, in one sense, Paul is unique. But I do also think that we can discern a couple of principles of guidance for us here from this passage. And the first of them is that godly Christians may view the same situation differently. Godly Christians may view the same situation differently. And we see this clearly here. Paul was convicted that the right thing for him to do was to go to Jerusalem. But yet the vast majority of the Christians around him were convinced that he shouldn't go. You see, godly Christians view the same situation differently. Now, we need to be very clear here that we are not talking about any kind of moral issue that is clear from God's word, the Bible, like stealing or lying or um, sex outside marriage, perhaps. But rather what we are talking about here is an issue of guidance where a Christian is trying to work out what to do between two valid options. And in those circumstances, sometimes godly Christians will view the same situation differently. And so when it comes to things like uh, where to live or what job to do or maybe what ministry to get involved with, godly Christians may look at the same set of circumstances, they may have the same set of facts, but yet they may come to slightly different conclusions. I feel I've experienced this in my own life. Uh, There was one point in my life when I was considering doing a PhD, and I asked a number of Christian leaders for advice. And you know what? Virtually every single one of them uh, came back with something completely different. That just goes to show that you can have a bunch of godly Christians uh, looking at the same set of circumstances, but yet they can come to very different conclusions. And uh, just in case you uh, are wondering, I never ended up uh, doing the PhD. I think we also see here that godly Christians can be wrong. 
So I think almost everybody agrees looking at this passage that in fact Paul was right to ignore the advice of the other Christians and keep on going to Jerusalem. However, I think it's very helpful for us to notice that Paul's friends were motivated by love and care and concern for him. They cared for Paul, and so when they heard the Spirit's warnings, they naturally pleaded with their friend Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And again, I think we can probably think of examples of this. So we might think of the Christian parent, maybe, who doesn't want their child to become a pastor or missionary because they know it'll be really hard. Uh, It might still be the right thing for the child to go, but yet the parent is acting out of love and concern in terms of the advice that they give. Uh, I think we could maybe say the same thing as well for some non-Christian parents who try and stop their children from becoming Christians. Uh, Again, they may still be wrong, but yet it can be very helpful to remember that at least they're being motivated by love and concern, uh, according to what they think is right, uh, even if they are actually misguided. Now again, we need to be careful here. I do think we need to say that we do need to be careful about going against the advice of godly, mature Christian leaders who know us well. After all, God has placed those people in our lives for a reason, and usually one of the main ways that God leads and guides us is through the counsel of older, more mature Christians. The problem that some of us have is that we don't seek advice enough, not that we have too much. However, we also need to bear in mind that sometimes godly Christians can be wrong. And then there's also one last principle that we see here, which is that the right way is not always the easy way. The right way is not always the easy way. I think many of us naturally tend to think that the uh, right way is the easy way. If there's an easy option, then that has to be the right way um, for us, surely. And so we tend to uh, think that God will always want me to do what's going to maximize my own ease and my own convenience and uh, make life as easy as it possibly can for me. But yet Paul's example here surely shows that the right way is not always the easy way. Now, sometimes the right way will be the easy way, and it can be wonderful if that is the, the case. But sometimes the right way would also be the hard way, and we need to go onwards to Jerusalem. Maybe in our work, maybe in some of our relationships, maybe in our marriages, or maybe in the struggles that we have with not being married. Uh, It may well be the case that the right way is not actually the easy way. And instead, God may be calling us to hardship and even suffering for the sake of his name. So then, where a circumstance is very complex, how then do we know what to do? How do we know whether we should take the easy way or the hard way? Well, we've already looked at some criteria this morning that will hopefully be helpful. Um, But um, ultimately, we need the wisdom that comes um, from God. So uh, James 1 verse 5, uh, any of you who've ever come to me for pastoral counsel, know that I often use this um, scripture verse where God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. That's a wonderful promise for those of us who are Christians. And maybe it's a promise that you need reminded of this morning. If you need guidance this morning, 
especially if you are wrestling with some very difficult decision in your life. And the most important thing you can possibly do is to ask God for his wisdom. Why not pray to him? Why not spend time immersed and uh, reading God's word? Uh, why not speak with other Christians, maybe especially those who you know who are more mature perhaps, and uh, ask God for wisdom? Well then, there's also one uh, last principle uh, there on your outlines that we need to look at from this passage, uh, which I've called the example of Jesus. And here I think the uh, last principle uh, that helped Paul in our passage is actually following in the footsteps of Jesus. So uh, lots of people uh, writing on Acts have noticed the many similarities between Paul and Jesus in uh, this particular section of Acts. So in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51, for instance, uh, we read this about Jesus. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Then in Acts um, 19 and verse 21 that we've already looked at, we read about Paul. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And so it seems as if there's this intentional parallel that's being drawn um, between Jesus and Paul. In both cases, they are heading to Jerusalem. In both cases, there are people around them who try to discourage them from going. In both cases, they are warned that going to Jerusalem means capture and being handed over to the Gentiles. Exactly the same phrases are used. In both cases, they are ready to lay down their lives. As Paul says here in verse 13, I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And in both cases, we are told that it was God's will. Uh, Jesus submitted to God's will in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then in our passage this morning, we're told there in verse 14, that when Paul's friends saw that he couldn't be dissuaded, that they said, the Lord's will be done. So it seems as if there's this intentional parallel which is being uh, laid out for us between Paul and Jesus. The point is that Paul here is courageously following the example of his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. He's following the example of Jesus, following him, uh, even if it means uh, suffering and death. As we saw just a few moments ago, the right way is not always the easy way. And so we too may need to be followers of Christ down a path of suffering and hardship. Now, of course, we need to say that one big difference between Paul's suffering and our own suffering and Jesus' suffering is that in Jesus' case that his suffering achieved salvation for us. So the Bible teaches us that all of us have rebelled against God and have naturally gone our own way. This renders us liable to God's judgment and wrath as our sin must be punished by a holy God. But yet the great news of the gospel, the great news that Christians proclaim is that Jesus willingly went to Jerusalem for us. Jesus resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem and the suffering of the cross for us. He submitted to his father's will in the garden of Gethsemane and suffered on the cross to take the punishment that we deserved. He then rose again and now offers forgiveness and new life to everybody who comes to him. So ultimately, I think this portion of Acts that we're looking at is a passage that is calling us to courage, 
We see Paul pressing on to Jerusalem, following Jesus in spite of all obstacles and in spite of the advice that he was even given by other Christians. If you aren't a Christian this morning, maybe the courage that this passage is calling you to is actually just the courage to become a Christian. You may still have doubts. Maybe you feel that all of your questions haven't yet been completely answered. Maybe you're scared about some of the changes that Jesus will need to make in your life. But yet this morning, Jesus is saying to you that you need to have courage and you need to move forwards and place your faith in him. I think there are also some lessons here as well uh, for those of us who are Christians. If we are Christians, we know that we need to be those who follow Jesus' example. We know that the cross is not just the way of salvation. The cross is also the way of discipleship. And that Jesus said that all of those who follow him need to take up their crosses every day as part of what it means to be his disciple. As Jesus says uh, over in Luke 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And of course, so taking up your cross daily um, takes courage. I'm not sure what that means for you this morning, but I'm sure this means uh, something important for all of us. Where is God calling you to be courageous and take up your cross and be a follower of Christ even if it involves the way of hardship and suffering. It's not to say that the right way will always be the hard way, but it is to say that the right way will sometimes be the hard way. And certainly if we're Christians, we know that that's to be our attitude. We're called to die to ourselves every day and to follow Christ in the way of the cross. And so this passage, I think, calls us to be courageous like Paul who went onwards to Jerusalem, who followed the example of Christ in spite of hardship and even other people advising him against it. For those of you facing difficult decisions at the moment, is God calling you to be a follower of Christ by taking the hard way? And of course, we need to remember that the way of the cross is ultimately the way of glory and the way of the crown. And so... We see uh, three principles, I think, from this passage for us when we face difficult decisions. Um, There's more we could probably say as well, but uh, one is certainly, how does this fit with God's plans to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Uh, How is the Holy Spirit guiding me and leading me um, in this decision? And what would it mean for me to courageously follow the example of Christ and take up my cross? And so... What would you have done if you were Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Would you have stayed in the USA or would you have returned to Germany? Well, in the end, Dietrich Bonhoeffer did decide to return to Germany. This is what he wrote uh, to one of his um, friends. It was a mistake for me to come to America. I have to live through this difficult period in our nation's history with Christians in Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the tribulations of this time with my people. And so he returned to Germany right at the outbreak of World War II. Uh, he, He continued training pastors in Germany for as long as he possibly could. He was eventually banned from preaching and teaching and uh, was then finally uh, arrested by the Nazis in 1943. 
He then spent um, two years in a prison in Germany until he was eventually implicated in a plot to assassinate Hitler, uh, which Dietrich Bonhoeffer had known about, and he was executed in Flossenburg concentration camp uh, right before the end of the war. The pastors in Afghanistan, who I mentioned at the start, did change their religion on the government ID from Muslim to Christian Uh, They were able to continue to live and serve in Afghanistan for a while, but they were forced to uh, flee the country um, last year when the Taliban came to power. In their case, after facing terrible difficulties and terrible opposition, the right thing for them was to leave. The Apostle Paul's story would work out differently. He continued on his way to Jerusalem, as verse 15 tells us. We are then told in Acts chapter 21, verse 17, that when he arrived in Jerusalem, he was warmly received by the brothers and sisters there. If you want to find out what happens to Paul next, then you'll need to come back in February after Chinese New Year. But hopefully you will also come back next week as well, when we are beginning a new series in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give thanks for the courageous example of Paul that we see in these verses. We give thanks that he did not shrink back from following you, uh, even when it was hard, but uh, he continued to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. When we face hard decisions in our own lives, we pray for your help. We pray that you would lead us and guide us. Help us to make decisions that maximize the spread of the gospel in the world and that bring you glory. And we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.